Do you ever struggle with your fuzzy brain? I do. Welcome to the Uncluttered Office Podcast. Here I share what I've discovered from my challenges with ADHD and chemo brain. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. I'm a former Wall Streeter, now certified productive environment specialist and ADHD productivity coach with well over 20 years of experience in business, office design, and productivity. I'm a badass cancer survivor and thriver, wife, mom of a teen and a cat, and a lifelong geek. I'm old enough now to be proud of it. I've learned that whether we lose our keys, misplace our files, or constantly forget our appointments, we can design a work and home life that is simpler, easier, and fits who we are with our unique brains. I believe that to be truly productive, we need to learn how to be intentionally unproductive. A strange twist for a productivity coach. But hey, I love to ski, sail, and surf. Listen in and learn how to streamline your space and systems so you can be more focused, organized, and have more time to be intentionally unproductive. Hi, everyone. Catherine Avery of ProductivityByDesign.com and your host of the Uncluttered Office podcast. I have a super interesting guest with me today. His name is Bill Prinzavalli. Bill is an entrepreneur, executive coach, organizational consultant, author, speaker, and improv workshop facilitator. He helps CEOs discover their inner Olympian, their zone or flow state by accessing their innate intuitive skills and integrating them with traditional business strategies to achieve extraordinary performances. Hi, Bill. Hi, Catherine. Pleasure to be here. Thrilled. I would love to start with this idea of the inner Olympian. Mm, Sure. The concept that I I try to convey in in the book and in, in, in my coaching is that we are so much more than our linear left brain which is what we learn in universities, what we learn in, in our careers. Uh, there's an entire nonlinear right brain that, that includes creativity, intuition, imagination, that I'd like people to use more. Mm-hmm. Right? I think most people use it. It sort of seeps in naturally, and they say, yeah, I have a gut feeling type of thing. But I want to promote that even greater because there's a tremendous amount of resources there that can help us make better decisions because we'll have greater awareness. So, I said, how do I explain this, right? I mean, if I tell people, well, you know, tap into your intuition, people might say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what does that have to do with my business, you know? In the book, as I was giving some examples, there's some examples of of the Olympians. And I said, you know what? This is, I think, a good way to understand it. Because what does an Olympian do, right? They, They train rigorously. I mean, they are the best of the best in the world. They probably train from the time they're young, right? Along the way, they learn every technical skill possible. They get coaches to help them along the way, sometimes multiple coaches. Uh, So they do all of that. Now, is that enough? No, because there are a lot of people that do that. So what do we see Olympians do, let's say, before a run? If they're going down a ski run, you know, 90 miles an hour on a sled or something. (laughs) I mean, what do they do? They stop. They center themselves. They close their eyes. They meditate like on a bobsled. They're meditating. Okay, you know, curve 13, I have to get it higher, whatever. They meditate. They visualize. They visualize the success. So they're using all nonlinear functions. What used to be termed as right brain, which neuroscience says it's not exactly comes from the right brain anymore, but that's another story. So they use all of these skills, meditation, centering, visualization, 
to get an edge and to really improve even as great as they are. So when I came across that, I said, okay, that's something I think I can explain to people because the one that's related to that are athletes when they get into a zone, all right? Like we've seen Michael Jordan on the, on the uh, basketball court and other ones, they get into the zone where they are so focused that they can't do anything wrong. So how do they get there? They have to quiet their emotions, get themselves centered, go almost into an altered space and let the body automatically do what it knows to do. So there's no physical stress, but instead there's a surrender to the innate abilities that they already have. It's not an easy place to get to, but I offer a lot of suggestions in the book on how to try to get there. Right. So it reminds me of that flow state from the book that I can never say the author's name, Mikhail Yes, Mikhail yes. C, Mr. C. Mr. C, yeah, let's go with that. I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yes. But I think in business, we all can get into this state where we're super focused. And as you know, I work with a lot of people with ADHD and people talk about, oh, you know, it's a lack of focus, but it's actually not. It's, it's either no focus or total focus and sort Mm -hmm. of nothing in between. Yeah. And when we're interested in something, we're completely focused on it and we're rocking. And that's how you, that, that focus, if you're in touch with your inner world is one of the ways you can get into that zone and that flow state. And then one of the things I really like is you talk about it from a sports metaphor, because people understand that they can see Michael Phelps swimming. They can see him before the race as he's, you know, deep in not fixing necessarily his goggles, but focused in on what's this lap going to look like? What's that lap going to look like? And that's all just happening in his head. Yeah. And and I love the way you put it, because it's sort of a a focus that's so deep that the distractions don't happen. On On the tennis court, a lot of tennis pros say that when I'm in the zone, I can't hear anything from the audience. And there's 20,000 people. I said, I cannot hear them. So the way you put it, I love it. It's, you're so focused that, you know, you're blocking out other emotions. You're blocking out other noises, et cetera. And yeah, you need that kind of focus and concentration. And so that's why practices of meditation, practices of concentration, self-awareness, uh, listening, those are all wonderful skills to develop. And what I encourage people to do is to make these a practice. You know, they, these things don't just happen. And the more you can sort of get into those practices of focus, concentration, however you want to do it, if you want to meditate, if you want to go out and do Tai Chi, uh, however, if you want to do a you know, visualization, there's a, there's a hundred ways you could do it. But my suggestion is go do that and really have that laser focus. And, and in that laser focus, you're not stressed, right? There's no emotions going on. You're not worried about the future. You just know what you're doing. You know what's going on and you'll do the best you can do, whatever that level is at. Now, so for those of us who get a little more woo, that sounds very much like a mindfulness practice. There you go. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, it's exactly that. And I'll tell you a funny mindfulness story, a short one. I hate doing laundry. Uh-huh. I just, I, yeah, nothing appeals about doing laundry to me. I can't stand right. it. So I now use laundry as my mindfulness practice. Nice. So I am mindful as I take the clothes out of the washing machine and put them in the dryer, et cetera. And it's 
my way of kind of salvaging this task that I hate. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, well, like if I can make this about my mindfulness practice, about being mindful about how I'm doing the laundry and what just goes into the laundry, right? How do we get our soap? Where does it come from? How lucky are we to have running water and washing machines and all these kinds of things? It, it becomes this sort of like love letter to laundry, which is nice. ridiculous, but we can take that at work too. You know, yes. we can take this idea of being mindful at work when we're even doing those tasks we really don't like to do. So I don't know if you have some ideas of things that CEOs could be doing, because I'm sure they're not doing their laundry. <laughs> yes, they're not doing laundry, but but the practice of what you're doing and that dynamic is exactly the same. So instead of having your mind somewhere else, and instead of your mind complaining about the laundry, you're focusing on what you're doing. Right. And Every meditation, I mean, even the, the, the monks in the Himalayas, they, they'll say you can be mindful of every single thing you're doing. You know, if, you, if you're closing the button on your shirt, you know, if you're brushing your hair, if you're mindful about it, you can actually see it. Okay, well, what's going on? Oh, I do have a little gray here. <laughs> and, and let me pat this down. Well, this button is amazing. How did they make this little thing? Mindfulness, right? So, yes, my, and what mindfulness does is it actually calms the physical and emotional body. So when you're in that mindful or meditative place, you know, your, your blood pressure goes down, your pulse goes down. I mean, it's a very healthy place to be. Nice. So you can do mindful exercises absolutely anywhere. And uh, yeah, in terms of CEOs and, and other things, I mean, you could be mindful waiting on a line at, at, at a bank, you know, instead mm -hmm. of being anxious and worried and upset because, you know, instead of doing that, you say, okay, I'm here. So let me be mindful. Let me look at the person in front of me. Oh, that's a nice shirt they have on. That's interesting. Or look at the architecture of the building. I wonder how they create that thing. I'm, I don't have the skill to do that. Or what's the air like in this in this environment? Is it fresh? Is it clean? What's, so just look around you where you are and be mindful of what's going on. So in terms of CEOs, which is your, your ultimate question, yes, I want CEOs to be mindful of everything they're doing, awareness, everything they're doing. I mean, Often we, I mean, include myself, do things that we feel we should do, you know, that mm -hmm. outside voice of what you should be doing. And half the times we're just listening to those voices and, and acting not from what we want to do, but from those voices. But instead, if we can tap into our inner voice and who we are and what we want, first of all, then it's more authentic because we're coming from our place. And then being mindful, yes, exactly what's going on. Right now, I'm talking to Catherine. I can see that she's wearing a, a blue, I'm colorblind, but I think it's a blue jacket. And I see that. And she's got a great big smile on her face. And she's listening intently to me. And, and we're having a great conversation. So this is where my focus is. And this is being mindful. I'm not listening to anything else. I shut my phones off. So yes, being mindful just means being aware of every moment of what we're doing. And then we won't miss out on half of life. I mean, half the people, this one timeline, uh, just uh, quickly, I love this thing. You know, time is sort of moving, right? So like. <laughs> 10 seconds from now is not here yet, but it's coming, it's coming, oh, it's here, it's gone, all right? That, that time's up. So a lot of us, including me, we, we either think about the past, you know, which is already gone, or we're anxious about the future. Now, if we're doing that, we're never focused on the present. Mm. So all of these moments, that 10-second moment that came by, I was thinking about it, you know, 10 seconds ago, but I wasn't thinking about it here. So if I'm always thinking about and worrying about the future because of anxiety, that means I'm never living in the present moment. Right. And all of these moments that I'm worrying about, I'm not living my life. Right. So awareness and mindfulness will bring you greater awareness of what's going on. 
greater health for you, greater attention to who you are with. People will feel that as well, right? I mean, like you and I are connecting here, so we, we can feel that. But, you know, bosses, you know, when employees come into their office, they can tell if they're not really listening to them. And that doesn't help the business environment at all. So listening, that's one of the skills you uh, sent in. Uh, you sent me something ahead of time called, I think, conscious communicating. Right. So I'd be curious to talk a little bit about listening. Sure. And how did you become a better listener? I became a better listener by doing improv. Okay. Right? I got into improv about 10 years ago, just as a fun thing to do. And I'm still doing it. And I wrote a book about it. So here's the thing. If you and I are on stage, as an example, we got 30, 40 people in the audience, right? We have no script. Mm-hmm. So we go on stage, somebody has to initiate the scene, right? So let's say you initiate the scene and you start saying something. Well, if I'm not listening to you, I've got nothing. <laughs> right? No script to fall back on. There's no script. So you come out with some initiation like, hey, hey, Bill, you know, the, the dinner last night was terrific at that Italian restaurant. Now, if I'm not listening to you and I'm just thinking about something else and I say something like, oh, well, we next week we have to go uh, to that anniversary party. The audience is going to say, hey, hey, wait a minute. She just talked about the Italian restaurant last night. You're ignoring it. What's the, they're going to be very dissatisfied, right? Now, that's listening. Now, deep listening is the next level. Okay. So if you say something like, uh, yeah, you know, Bill, the uh, you know, food last night, the rest, I'm really glad you took me out to the restaurant last night. The audience knows you're not happy. Right, right. <laughs> so if I just address your words and say, yeah, the food was really good. Again, the audience is going to be disappointed and disconnect. Like, hey, 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 what's going on there? We see that on TV all the time. So that deep listening is the first step. So I don't just listen to the words, but I listen to the sentiment. Right. Second step on this, what I call the conscious communication cycle is I have to then assess my feelings to your comment. Mm. Right. So if you say, hey, Bill, the restaurant was tough. Okay. Am I disappointed? Am I surprised? Am I worried? Am I angry? Am I feel betrayed? What is my feeling? Right. And sometimes the audience will know what my feeling is before I will, right? Mm-hmm. So I have to assess my true feeling. And let's say my feeling is disappointment because it was a special anniversary day. Then I have to speak authentically from that place. Right. Like, oh, Captain, you sound disappointed. You know, was, was the food okay? See, now we're connecting. And now the audience knows that you're upset. They know that I'm disappointed. And now I'm coming back with an authentic response. And then you start that cycle all over. You deep listening to me, you assess your So that's the conscious communication cycle. So it's communications about deep listening and it's conscious because I'm listening deeply to you and I'm assessing my own feelings. I'm not just talking from my head, but I'm I'm feeling. Now we have a real communication going. Mm, Got it. So here I was deep listening. Ah, there you go. That's good. Well, and it's funny because when I first started doing these podcasts, I did have questions pre-prepared and I moved away from that because conversations naturally flow. And if we're really listening and paying attention, we don't want to stick to some preordained list. So now, how'd you get into improv? Ah, there you go. Okay, great. Great story. (laughs) Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I was, uh, let's see, it was 2012. I was single at the time. Okay, here you go. I'll be very vulnerable. I'll tell you the, I'll tell you the true story. <laughs> I, I, I was single at the time. I was recently divorced. and. Um, I was in the dating scene, naturally in the dating scene. And a friend, my coach of mine said, how are you doing with dating? I said, well, you know what? It's, it's, it's kind of weird. He said, why is that? He said, because I said, when I date people from the metaphysical community, which I was a real part of, I said, it's great, but you know, their feet are up in the air. And they, you know, they're not grounded at all. And I can't connect mm-hmm. with them. So, and then I said, when I date people from my tennis club, they're great. You know, it's fun. But if I talk about energy and meditation, they have no idea what I'm talking about. I said, so how do I do this? So we said, well, did you ever try the acting community? Because his, his former wife was a, a director on Broadway. He says, they sort of have a little bit of both. Right. So I said, no, 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 no. I don't want to act. I'm very self-conscious. No way. Absolutely no way. Right. He said, okay, okay, okay. So what happens? A week later, I get an email, you know, from because I'm on a lot of email lists. It says, Tantra on stage. See what it's like to be an actor for an evening. Now, my wife and I, at the time when I was married, you know, we, we practiced Tantra, which is basically an energetic works. And it was beautiful. So I said, okay, so I'll try it. So I went there, scared stiff, because I said, you know, very unco- uncomfortable, I'm, I'm self-conscious, whatever. But I went there, and it was a great session. We had about six people, and they focused on connection, all right? It wasn't a strict comedy uh, improv, but it was about deeper connections, more of an acting class than anything else. It was about deep connection. And by the end of the evening, we were doing scenes because we were connecting with people, et cetera. And then she says, okay, we're doing a workshop this weekend. My, uh, my director from California is coming in. Why don't you come for the weekend? I said, no, 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 no. I said, well, okay. But I had a problem with my shoulder, so I couldn't play tennis. So I said, fine, I'll go. At the end of the weekend, he said, why don't you come and do the, the show with us on Wednesday? I says, are you nuts? I said, I just came here for a weekend workshop. I said, I don't want to be on the stage in New York City. That's nuts. He said, what do you got to lose? Mm. He said, what an opportunity. So I said, okay, what an opportunity. So I did that. I was nervous as hell, but I got up on stage that Wednesday, thank God, with a person who was experienced. And so she really, the scene worked out well because she knew how to lead me. And then I just started realizing how, how compelling it was. Right. Not cathartic, but it was very exploratory. You know, the, for example, in the acting scene, the first time I played somebody who I wasn't, which is, you know, I'm a white male heterosexual. So one time I played a gay man. One time I, I played a person of color. One time I played a prisoner. One time I played a murderer. One time I played a homeless person. And when you get into those roles, it's like, whoa, now I really understand what these people, I had a better sense of who these people were. And I had much more empathy for every one of these, these people. So it's been compelling. And I've been here ever since. Wow, that's amazing. So how many years? You said 2012? Oh, so it's 10 years now. Yeah. Wow, 10 years. Yeah, that's great. And are you still doing improv in New York City? Or? Yeah, yeah, still. Do, yes. And, and obviously, we're doing a lot on Zoom these days. Right. Past couple of years. So we're still doing it on Zoom. We just did a show last Thursday. But hopefully, and I've gotten into the city between between Omicron and Delta. I got into the city a couple of times to do some shows. But uh, so hopefully, we'll we'll get back into the city pretty soon because yeah. it's it's more, it's more fun doing it live with live audience. Is the public invited to these? Yeah, absolutely. Fun. Absolutely. I love it. That's great. 
Yeah, there are plenty of improv clubs in the city. There's the pit, the magnet, many, many different theaters. Uh, uh, bar, bar none is, is a dive bar, but in the back, they got a whole room. So, you know, we go to these places and you get maybe 20, 30 people, but um, they're really, they're, they're quite generous. You know, they know you're up there trying to entertain them, trying to do something compelling and trying to make something out of nothing. And they're very supportive. They're a wonderful audience. And I'm going to try hard to remember listeners who are not in the tri-state area and say that when we say the city, we mean New York City. <laughs> oh, that's true. But when you're that's from true. New York, you're, you know, there is no other city. The city, so, that's it. <laughs> just going there are other lovely cities that roll, but there's no other New York. That's yeah. just what I, what can I say? Here we are. Uh, exactly. <laughs> but I did this. I was like thinking to myself, oh, I really should probably mention what city we're talking well, thank, about. Thank you for that. I'll, I'll, no, it's, I'll, it's, it's fun. It's communication, Bill. It's just communication. There you, go. All good. You, were li- you were listening deeply. <laughs> you and I were in our right brains and not in our left brains, but but that's okay. Yeah. And and I'm curious if you can do it in a very simplified way. Can you talk a little to what they mean by they're no longer saying right brain versus left brain? Because this is news to me. I'm learning okay, something sure. new. In, in the 1960s, there was a uh, a revelation where the corpus callosum, which is the, the part that connects left brain, right brain, had broken. And so they saw that people that only had a right brain, I guess they had seizures, only had a right brain were very intuitive. And people that only had the left brain capabilities were very linear. Right. So they made that conclusion. This is the science community. They made that conclusion. And that's been going on a long time. But neuroscience today has studied it much more deeply over the last 10, 20 years and basically said in further study, they said it's not exactly true that both sides of the brain get involved with both functions. Right. So they said it's really sort of an oversimplification, but the science is still developing. So I just want to point out to people that, yeah, left brain, right brain, the words still exist because we like that vernacular. It's easy. It's and easy to it, see. It's easy. Yeah. And and the words I came up with to, to try to move away from that is linear and nonlinear mm. because we still have a linear function of our mind. It might not come exclusively from the left hemisphere of the brain, right. but we still have the linear component of mind and the nonlinear component of our mind. So in the book and in all of my language, I'll either say linear, nonlinear or left and right to mean those functions. Ah, I like it. That's really interesting. I'm learning a ton. So your book is Improvisational Leaders. Right. And you've talked some about in the Olympian. You've talked some about the brain. What is one of your favorite parts of the book? What can people take away today that would really help them be better leaders? Well, let me just say the first thing that comes to my mind is that every leader improvises every day. No matter how much we know our skill and our, we're improvising every day because situations come. So it's just natural life. Yep. So I just want them to improvise more consciously. All right. And improvise doesn't mean by the seat of your pants, but it means use all of the knowledge that you have and your intuitive qualities and all of that. Use that in terms of what you're doing in your improvisation. And I give them uh, uh, so many different ways to to access their their right brains, their nonlinear functions, to develop it, to practice it, so that when they do make these decisions, they're automatically incorporating not only their linear functions, but the nonlinear functions. And then you make just better decisions. Right. So decision-making. When we're under the gun, we're under fire, the room is hot, things are happening, right? We were just at a meeting together, Bill, where I was like, boy, I got to make a shift here very quickly. Yeah. And I was very centered and in the moment, so I was able to do it. But I'd love for you to talk to a minute where, and I'm sure some of these strategies you offer do this. What happens when you're that person 
and you're in the hot seat and it's all hitting it and you've got to be the leader and step up and shift. Mm -hmm. Any great strategy around that? Yes. First of all, be aware of the state you're in. So if you know you're in a chaotic state or a a state that's, that's not the best for making a decision, first be aware of that. And secondly, take a breath before you make a decision. Just take a breath. And it could be as quickly as 10 seconds. So just quiet down. Take a breath. Just go inside. It could be 10, 15 seconds. And the more you practice it, the quicker you can get there. And then once you feel like awareness, once you feel like, okay, you're not in that chaotic state anymore, okay, now I'll speak. And 10, 15 seconds is all you really need. And that can do so much in terms of saying a much wiser thing. Right. And what you just illustrated there was how we can take our, oh boy, I'm going to see if I can get it right, how we can calm our vagal system by having a polyvagal response, meaning when you take a deep breath in, your little lizard brain, the amygdala, it overrides it and that calms things down. So we talk a lot about pausing with my clients because with ADHD, you know, some of us are speeding bullet trains. We go so fast. Mm -hmm. If you can stop a moment and take a breath, your body is fixing it for you. (laughs) Nice. You know, it's calming it down. I'm trying to keep it in language that's not too, you know, neurosciencey because because I can go there, but I just know that it's better for listeners if we don't. But that is really what's happening. And it's it's a huge game changer. Yeah, it definitely is. And the first key is awareness. You know, just be aware of what state you're in right now. Right. Am I in a chaotic state? Am I in an okay state? Where am I? And that's uh, that's a key. That's the first step. And then from there, you can make the change. And if you got a toddler or a teen, you get a lot of opportunities to practice. <laughs> children, children are the greatest teachers in the world, aren't they? Oh, amen to that. They absolutely are. They're wonderful. So Improvisational Leaders is your book. Right. We talked a lot about the brain being an inner Olympian. What's your favorite productivity tactic or strategy, Bill? For me, it's, uh, I mean, uh, I hate to repeat it, but it's, it's the right brain, the intuition, taking the pause. Uh, because I look, I started off as a mathematician and computer scientist. So I was so left brain. And, and I thought the mind was king. All right. But it isn't. It's part of the whole process. So, so now I say, get into the right brain, take a breath, you know, tap into your intuition and self-awareness and then move forward. I love it. That's a great, great strategy. And I mm-hmm. do think one of my beliefs is that to be truly productive, we need to learn how to be intentionally unproductive. Hmm. People kind of look at me like, but you're a productivity coach. But when we're mindful, when we take a true break and a proper pause, our body remembers it, and then we feel less stressed. And it's like what you said uh, earlier on, when you prepare for these meetings, you prepare, you have the questions, et cetera. But then when you start, you let it go. Right. That's what we need to do generally in life. We prepare, we work hard, and then let it go so that the deeper part of ourselves can be accessed and integrated with what we already prepared. Exactly. Great. Love it. So where can people find your book and where can they find you? My website is simple, billprinzavalley.com. Okay. Get in there. It branches out into the, the, the business world or the improvisational world or to the, uh, the authorship. 
So that's sort of a focal point. You can go in any direction you want once you get there. That's the umbrella. And the book's there too? The book is there as well. Yes. Fabulous. Are you on Amazon or no? Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. Wonderful. Great. So I'm going to put all those links in here in the show notes that people can find you. This was so interesting. Thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate you. Catherine, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bill. Yeah. You've been listening to the Uncluttered Office Podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and www.productivitybydesign.com. I'm your host, Catherine Avery. If you like what you've heard, please share this episode with someone you think needs it. I would love for you to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews make my heart sing and can help even more people find the gifts in their productivity challenges. Thanks for listening and see you next week. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.